Hello and welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network. Uh, my name is Tiffany. I'm going to be your host today and joining me from our virtual studio from all over the planet. We have Erica, Doug, and Elliot. Hello. 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 Okay, so we have kind of a news show for all of our listeners out there because usually health and wellness news is pretty static. I mean, there are things that are good for you and things that are bad for you, and those things don't change much. But every once in a while, the news is just a bunch of weirdness. So the title of today's show is Vaccinated Transgender GMO Babies Drink Glyphosate and Go to Jail for Scientific Discoveries. So that is kind of an amalgamation of all the strangeness that's been going on. 2018 has been a very weird, weird year. Yeah. So all of this stuff that's going on is just kind of mind-blowing. Scientists that are getting arrested for actually doing proper science. And then we have rogue scientists going off and creating GMO babies. (laughs) And then big business is seems to be just hell-bent no matter what people say. We don't like it. We don't want it. They just steadily want to ruin our food supply for some reason. Mm-hmm. And Big Pharma, they're still at it. I don't think any uh, news roundup will be complete without talking about vaccines because they're just always awful. And then we have the worst. <laughs> the worst ever because they're going after the children with this trans gender ideology so it's kind of like a horror film yeah but it's so fascinating you can't look away (laughs) and it keeps coming up it's not like it's going away either it keeps coming back more and more intensely Mm -hmm. did i say the date today is friday december the 7th 2018 just for the record good so um We hope to have a lively chat during this discussion, and if anybody wants to call in and talk about something they may have seen in the news, please do. But we're going to start off, why don't we start off with the the GMO babies? Yeah. It's kind of crazy. So there was this scientist... um, well, he, he Zhang Kui from China. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. And he uh, basically just started coming out with information and ta- he came up with YouTube videos talking about how he had genetically modified babies and that they were born and that they were healthy and that the experiment was a success. And then he kind of went to this conference to talk about it. And it, uh, weirdly, he said, oh, I'm sorry, this got leaked earlier, so I would have liked to have, uh, you know, actually got the results published before I started talking about it. But the thing is, he put out the YouTube videos. So it's <laughs> like, how did it get leaked exactly? It's like, oh, oops, I accidentally recorded some YouTube videos and told everybody about my experiment. Yeah, anyway, accidentally just, like, leaked to my own secret study. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was one of his other personalities did it or something. But, uh, yeah, so they used the CRISPR, CRISPR-Cas9 technology to do it, which is basically like, 
I don't know a lot about it, but it's basically like you, you insert proteins that have the alter genetic material in them mm -hmm. and into the cells and you make them pick it up and then they, you know, replicate with this new genetic material. So what he was basically doing is uh, he wanted to make these babies resistant to HIV. So there is apparently some kind of uh, gene um, that makes for some way to that allows the HIV virus into the cell. Mm -hmm. So he basically coded this protein to make it so that was not functioning properly or wasn't constructed properly or something so that the HIV virus couldn't get into the cell. <clears throat> and then he had uh, this genetic material and he put it into the egg, a fertilized egg of a woman, um, a couple who the man actually had HIV and had mm -hmm. thought that he wasn't able to um, have babies because he would of the danger of passing on HIV to the baby. Um, so anyway, he, this, this scientist basically went rogue. It was basically understood amongst the uh, GMO community that you don't mess with human kids. You know, you don't, mm -hmm. you don't start editing humans, mm -hmm. um, especially considering he didn't try it on animals or anything like that beforehand. He just went ahead and did it on babies. And he and didn't so, have the permission of his university either. He didn't have permission of the people he did it to. He told them <laughs> well, that it was a vaccine. Did. Yeah. He told them it was a vaccine. He didn't tell them that he was going to be doing genetic engineering on it. And apparently the, the consent form was actually more like a form saying that um, I'm not responsible for anything that bad that's going to happen. And, you know, had a bunch of things about being able to use the pictures of the kids in any kind of advertising that he wanted to. So it wasn't really a consent form. It was mm -hmm. basically a covering his ass form. And um, it, apparently it did mention gene editing, but it didn't, uh, it didn't go into detail about what was actually going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he didn't have permission in the university that, that he was working for. And so he just, it, like, it, it's the, the definition of going rogue. He mm -hmm. completely went rogue on this thing. Well, at, all of his peers were not oh. surprisingly pretty shocked and baffled and didn't think that he did the right thing at all. He violated so many ethical laws. They were just surprised that he actually went ahead and did it. So he didn't really have the support of anybody after announcing this thing, even if it's actually true. Maybe it is true, but yeah, I don't know. He seems kind of like an opportunist to me. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guy who was um, chairing the conference, who where where this scientist was basically presenting his findings, uh, apparently came up afterwards, like immediately afterwards, and says, "You know, this is completely irresponsible, <laughs> and and like there's no safe, um, there's no consensus on whether this this is like uh, safe to perform in in human beings." Um, mm. And if it was up to me, I'd probably, I mean, I don't know how these kind of things work, but I think this guy deserves to have his title stripped of him and yeah. not to be working in, in the field of science because, mm. I mean, th that's dangerous. This guy's dangerous and, um, yeah. I, I think, think he should maybe he do should... jail time for it, to be honest. Yeah. And the weird part is, like, this is just what he's told us that he's done. Who knows what he's been doing before? Um, there was yeah. an article that came out 
uh, on the 3rd of December, and they're talking about all the reasons why this was bad. But there's still this underlying discussion among some scientists that this type of thing is probably going to be the future, and it's okay to do this. Not necessarily it's okay that he did this right now, but I think that secretly this kind of thing has probably been going on, <laughs> and we just don't know about it. That's possible. That's entirely yeah. possible. The other thing, the other complaint about what he did is that it was completely unnecessary. Because apparently when it comes to HIV and, and babies being born with HIV, there's much, 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 much less of a risk of the father passing it on to the kids than of the mother passing it on to the kids. So if the mother was HIV positive, there's a, there's a fairly high chance that she'll pass it on to the kids. Whereas if the father is, it's kind of like iffy. Like it might happen, but um, it's, it's much less likely. So the fact that these kids were born without HIV doesn't really prove anything. And also... They're, they they aren't going to know. Like he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch them until they're 18 um, to make sure that, you know, there's nothing wrong with them or anything like that. But there's no, there's no point at which they can say that this was a success. Mm. Because unless they deliberately expose them to HIV and they resist it, then there's no, there, there's no way to say, oh, yes, it was successful. Mm. Like especially by the time they're 18, it's like unless they end up being total floozies who go out and... <laughs> Uh, have unprotected sex all over the place, then there's no there's no way to say like for sure. Oh yeah, that this success it was successful. It worked. Mm -hmm. What what I find interesting about this whole CRISPR technology, aside from the human uh, experimenting <laughs> applications, uh, you know, this back in like 2016, they came out with the the mushroom. You know, the CRISPR technology clipped the browning gene out of the mushroom or whatever and uh they always refer to it as precise like mm -hmm. if you read all the articles mm -hmm. about it it always says the precise gene editing and i think it's like they're trying to implement in people's mind that there's nothing that could possibly go wrong with this like the science is settled it's clear to do and it's safe and no questions asked and since 2015-16, there's over 30 new crops that have been gene edited that I think most people aren't even aware of. The mushroom is one that maybe people know. The others, the apple. Mm -hmm. But then there's every, it seems like every month a new kind of technique is applied and you just don't hear of it. And then these, because they want to not have to go through the whole GMO labeling thing. Mm -hmm. It kind of eliminates that loophole and they just put it out there. And I think the whole fact is, is that it's not precise. It's yes. like the, the problem is that it can cause all kinds of other mutations to happen. Like just by introducing new genetic material, there's no guarantee that it's only going to go to the right spot, do the right thing and not have any other kind of repercussions. They found that in a lot of these kind of CRISPR things that um, there are undesired mutations that end up mm -hmm. happening. And those are only the ones they're detecting because there could be any number of things that go wrong that they don't actually notice. Um, so they might come out with some new apple crop or something like that. It's like, oh, it's amazing. They stay crisp. You know, oh, they'll survive the frost or something like that. Like, oh, it's so useful. And then all of a sudden some disease will come along and just wipe it out or something like that. So, yeah, or it'll, the people who eat it get, you know, cancer, toe cancer. Yeah. 
Well, that even happened when GMO foods started coming out in 1996, was they were using the gene gun, and they had all this bacteria or God knows what in there that essentially could turn on and off genes. So maybe now, what, 24 years later, we're starting to see gut health issues mm -hmm. from Roundup-ready crops producing pesticides in your intestines. I mean... That's just what we know about. Mm -hmm. Well, I think yeah. with this guy and this whole GMO baby situation, maybe he has a handler. Maybe this information was put out there just to test what the public reaction would be and see if it dies down after a while, and then they can just go ahead and start doing this. Yeah, I don't know. It could very well be like that. Judging from the comments on his YouTube videos, it seems mm -hmm. like most people are kind of outraged about it. But there yeah. are comments on there where it's like, "Why don't you people chill out? This is the future, man. <laughs> Designer babies. That's where it's going." You're anti-science. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. That's always the accusation. Anti-science. It's like if you want to be careful about the implementation of a scientific discovery, you're anti-science. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why he did it, to get the notoriety to, to, to kind of feel the environment of where people were at. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure this story is just going to die down after a while. And uh, who's going to remember, like, in 18 years? Hey, I wonder what happened to Nana and Lulu that that Whatever GMO happened to Dolly the Sheep? Yeah. <laughs> remember Dolly the Sheep, the first Didn't clones? she die? Yeah, I think she did. But, but I, people it's, are going to forget it. It's going to fall down the memory hole. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder what's going to happen to these kids, man. Mm -hmm. It's kind of disturbing when you think about it. Like, those kids could have any number of crazy problems. And he and said we'll probably that... probably never hear about it. Another one's on the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's... I mean, he's he came out... He had a, a video... I didn't actually watch it, but where he was talking about the ethics of it. Mm. And apparently what he said is like, you know, oh, this should never be used for, um, you know, choosing your baby's hair color or strength or intelligence or anything like that. It should only or be sex. used for uh, or sex or lack of sex in this day and age. Um, <laughs> but it should be only be used for if there's like, you know, d diseases or something like that to, to correct for um, some kind of disease or some kind of condition. But the thing is, like, if, if the technology exists and that kind of stuff could be done, then what's to stop, like, a black market or something like that developing where it's like you've got a genetic scientist who will take a million dollars to design your baby the way you want it designed. Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of like once it's out the door, I, I don't really see how you can reel it in. If it's not already out the door. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Maybe there's like super soldiers out there, genetically altered super soldiers. DARPA would love to get their hands on that. <laughs> yeah, knowing DARPA, it, pro it probably does exist already. Yeah, I think it does. We carried an article on SOT that I recommend our listeners check out just to see where it's going. And it's called The Overlooked Threats of Gene Editing. It's just about kind of the whole science in and of itself. And it... uh the author was saying perhaps there's no technology uh, yet 
has been poised to change the world so profoundly and all life on earth, every li living organism now stands the possibility of potentially being edited on its most basic level, genetic level, uh, enhancing or degrading it, but forever changing it. So it's like once you let that cat out of the bag, there's no reeling it back in. And maybe that's why he did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could be. Well, there's also the, I don't know how possible this is with humans, but there's a whole transgenic thing where it's like they, you know, genetic material, once it's just out there, like you kind of end up absorbing it. And I know like, you know, with the crops, there's the, the, the drift that happens where it's like, the genetic material from one crop will drift over to a non-genetically altered crop and end up altering it. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that could happen with humans as well. Like, I don't know how much genetic information we actually just exchange on a regular basis. Maybe not much. Well, you still have to consider, like, what if these girls grow up, which they probably will grow up and have babies. Mm. What are their babies going to be like? Yeah. Yeah, because this is the problem with genetics is that <clears throat> when you look at the effects of certain toxins um, or environmental influences or even perhaps radiation, um, that when they do experiments specifically with uh, animals, they find that they find that um, you can expose one generation to something and it doesn't necessarily always cause a problem and then the next generation are okay as well but then when you get start getting to the second and the third generations and the fourth generations that's when you start seeing all of the problems mm -hmm. it's, it's like these inherited genetic characteristics or defects only become apparent after um, multiple different rounds of, of, um, of replication you know so uh, it's kind of difficult to say even if these even if these children are healthy or appear to be healthy it's like we may not even know the effects until 30 or 40 years down the line when mm -hmm. their children have had children you know so <laughs> so there's no way to control for this in this in this experiment and that's what it is the, i guess these children are guinea pigs um mm -hmm. and it's 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 unfortunate that this uh that this guy has been allowed to do what he what he's done really he's, well, he wasn't he's allowed <laughs> well no he wasn't allowed but i mean i'm surprised he's not been locked up i mean it is literally a criminal yeah. thing to do and as as um one of the authors said um it's it's like a crime against the scientific community really because they're there are scientists who who genuinely like want to understand things and perhaps you know even do things for the for the better best of um with the best interests of humanity at heart you know and and try to understand how these things work without causing many problems but then when you get someone like this you get this rogue kind of scientist it's like i mean as as you guys were just saying it kind of just um it opens the floodgates to 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 problematic things down the line and we don't really yeah. want to go there as a species. We don't want to go there. <laughs> well, the thing is, too, is that the, the, it, it just kind of proves that there aren't really the necessary checks in place. Like the fact that a guy can just go rogue and do this. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he, he, it, apparently he didn't have much trouble doing it. So it's like the fact of the matter is that it, there's nothing really to stop other 
scientists from just doing this kind of thing. It's like a bad James Bond movie or something like that, where a <laughs> villain just like gets an idea in his head and invents something absolutely catastrophic. And it's like, too bad. I invented it. It's like, you know, the checks don't seem to be in place to actually prevent somebody from just going off and doing something like this. Yeah, very much like nuclear, you know, like nuclear physics and things like that. This stuff is kind mm-hmm. of really kept within tight limits and, and regulated somewhat because, you know, people understand that, you know, if someone got hold of this stuff and, you know, decided to create an atomic bomb and then, you know, it could potentially yeah. wipe out half of the population. But this could also have similar implications, but in a longer time scale. And as you said, it doesn't seem like uh, that many people are, are sort of paying attention to how really detrimental this could be. Um, mm-hmm. over the next and, and because science now is getting to to a stage or at least in the public sphere um, it's getting to a stage now where um, we can really kind of tweak things stuff that has never never been able to happen before in history that we know of um, we're now starting to get into this really weird weird stage where you can kind of uh, tweak with nature mm-hmm. and that's probably not a good idea and so he's very dangerous at the moment yeah so thank you thank you he jean qui you have created yeah. patience zero and the upcoming genetic apocalypse thank you yeah. very much <laughs> it could be mm. let me ask a question though with you guys if theoretically okay if there was a situation where this kind of technology was kind of you know uh, worked on in the proper way with proper testing and they had done everything safely and kind of got to the point where they could actually edit the genome safely without repercussions, do you think it would be a beneficial thing? Like say, let's let's use a hypothetical situation where like they could determine that somebody had a genetic predisposition where it was like 80% sure that they would get some kind of like terrible disease. And they could just go in, edit the genome, and it would be okay. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I'm all for nature taking its course and mm-hmm. letting it uh, kind of balance and create itself. I'm never for people altering nature. I just think that is the ultimate in hubris. Like the line that should not be crossed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I hate to say it, but, you know, there is kind of the survival of the fittest, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, Mm. you know, the idea that nature kind of kills off the weak ones. I mean, we we kind of bypass that in many respects but i think it's probably just a a law of nature that a portion of the population are are never going to be able or or just simply not adapted to this world or are not endowed with the ability to to survive and i think i mean you see that in the animals in the animal kingdom as well so i i don't i don't know if we are if we are necessarily separate from that but then you could also make the argument that we have the cognitive capacity to to uh, improve our improve our outcomes 
said that. We can also <laughs> be extraordinarily stupid too. And things yeah. that start out with a good intention can balloon into something really horrific. That's, yeah, and I think that's a good point. And, you know, in my hypothetical here, I was saying if they had tested it and everything was perfect, but does that ever really happen? I mean, are we ever able to comprehend all the possible consequences of our actions? I think that the answer to that is obviously no. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Like, you know, on the, I, I, the reason I asked it is because I, I, I don't know where I stand on it, actually. I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't know. Because on the one hand, it kind of seems like if we had the ability to do this and we knew, you know, the possible consequences and weighed those and it was okay, then I, I could maybe see approving of it. But, at that, but all your arguments are, are good as well because humans have a remarkable ability of screwing things up completely. So I, but I, don't I can know. understand where the sentiment would come from because most people want everyone to be healthy and happy and to have a good life. And there's just mm -hmm. a small percentage that just want to screw it all up for other people. <laughs> Yeah. But your wishful thinking can get you in dark places. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of wishful thinking, <laughs> since we're on the GMO topic, do we want to move on to glyphosate and the new one, glufosinate? Sure. Yeah. So they're, Bayer and Monsanto have merged. <laughs> the, the ultimate, ultimate evil, corp. evil corporation <laughs> so glyphosate has such a horrible horrible reputation everybody hates it anybody who knows anything about it hates it and it's toxic and it's poisonous and so now they want to use something called glufosinate to yep. use on the crop so they'll be strong and hardy and create a bunch of yield so no one ever in the world will starve again. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's <laughs> their motivation. El eliminate yeah. weeds and pests in the process. Yeah, eradicate them. But the Bayer just came out saying that. I think because glyphosate has such a, a terrible reputation, they came out saying that they're going to release all of the studies... Well, like all of the information that exists on glyphosate, because I guess Monsanto was keeping a lot of it secret. They didn't actually... Shocking. Yeah, unbelievable, <laughs> right? And they said in the interest, they're trying to um, be more transparent. I mean, it, it comes across totally as like just posturing, right? Like Lip service. Posturing. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of like, well, we know we've bought this, um, you know, this toxic asset, like literally... Um, in Monsanto, and we maybe bit off a little bit more than we could chew here because um, it was right at the time when that lawsuit was happening and the lawsuit did not go well for them. Um, so it's just getting a worse and worse reputation. So it's kind of like they seem to be putting themselves forward saying, oh, we're going to be more transparent and here's all the info on glyphosate. But one uh, article that we were reading uh, for the show was speculating that they're basically dumping glyphosate. What they're doing now that they have glufonosate or whatever it's called, um, they're going to start putting all their energy into that one and just dump uh, glyphosate and be like, oh, yeah, you're right. We were wrong. It was terrible. We didn't realize it when we bought Monsanto, so we're just going to get rid of it. Oh, but here we've got this new one. Um, switcheroo. So, yeah, but, yeah, but that's good. Switcheroo. That's, 
But that's good, no, because glyphosate is is really bad. We know that. And uh, surely any alternative to glyphosate is going to be good. Because oh, if we... Hell if, yeah. uh, <laughs> wait, wait, the sarcasm alert, sarcasm alert. Because, because when we look at how glyphosate works, one of the leading theories put by Dr. Seneff is that it's because it replaces glycine. And glycine, we did a show on it a couple of weeks ago, it's one of the amino acids um, that makes up a large portion of the body. And so when you give something to the body that mimics an amino acid, that's bound to cause lots of problems. And so this glufosinate is surely not as bad, is it? Um, <laughs> well, it, it turns out it probably is as bad because it doesn't mimic uh, glycine, it mimics um, glutamate. And that's another amino acid. So basically what they've done is they've taken one amino acid at analog, said that, that oh no, okay, this is really bad, it's causing lots of problems, you know, all of the bad publicity and whatnot, and they're kind of washing away that stuff, but then they're replacing it with another amino acid analog. And if yeah. we look at, okay, you only have to briefly look at some of the research on monosodium glutamate. That's an additive that they add to foods, um, and it, it is basically like an extra source of glutamic acid. It's, it's, it's highly neuroexcited toxic so it can cause seizures and it can cause all sorts of problems with the nervous system um, just by supplying excess glutamate yeah but this is actually like proper glutamate this is this is the genuine amino acid that you're taking whereas this isn't an, an analog of the amino acid this is yeah. bound to be problematic because I mean, okay, look at glutathione one of the reasons why glyphosate is said to be so bad is because uh, when it mimics glycine, glycine is actually uh, a third by weight of glutathione. Glutathione is the primary antioxidant in the body. And so when you provide glyphosate instead of glycine, it means that your body is less likely able to produce as much glutathione as, as usual. Well, glutathione is a tripeptide. What that means is it's made up of three types of amino acids. One of those is glycine, another one is cysteine, and another one is glutamate. So when you take glufosinate, which is an analogue of glutamate, what, what is that going to do to glutathione? Probably the same thing as glyphosate does. Yeah. And there's probably all sorts of other things. Like Dr. Stephanie Seneff was talking about this, and she was saying, okay, we've got all of these problems, like autism, amyotrophic, lateral sclerosis, and all of these other kinds of things that are associated with glycine, or, or glyphosate, whereas when you replace it with this new amino acid analog, you're probably going to have a whole host of other diseases that manifest in completely different ways because the the varied um, the the varied uses of gl glutamate in the body, you know, they are different to glycine. But clearly, when you supply an analog, you're not getting the same effect. You're probably going to cause loads of problems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the chatters pointed out that uh, glyphosate is still going to be in the, the food supply. And in 10 years' time, we'll be dealing with conventional proteins that have two types of amino acids replaced instead of just one. So these people that are already sick from uh, glyphosate poisoning, you're going to dump some glufosinate into them as well. And, and then you're going to genetically modify them to not be <laughs> reacting to it. <laughs> yeah. 
Another thing, too, about just changing one chemical property in these things is you are not dealing with all the other inert aspects of it. So one of them is called POEA, and it's actually a suffocant or a detergent. It comes from animal fat, but they put it in herbicides to spread on the plant and soak the plant can soak up these herbicides in its tissues. So here they're focusing on one aspect of it, but not the cocktail of chemicals that are in it. So mm-hmm. as we've said on this show so many times before, whether it's BPA or, you know, they take away one thing, but they don't really deal with the core issue. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to have anything to eat? <laughs> That's more or less where it's going, yeah. Yeah. Whatever happened to the whole GMO grass thing? Did they end up doing that? I haven't heard anything remember, more about that. Like, there was like a, a big uproar in like the grass-fed um, community, like people who um, want to go for naturally raised animals that are grass-fed. Um, because I don't know if it was Monsanto or if it was a different company, but they were talking about making genetically modified grass. It's like, you know, why? That's just retarded. But anyway, they were going to do that. So you could have like a super rich, lush lawn or it was drought resistant or something like that. But I remember remember there was like a huge thing about it because uh, people who were insisting on grass-fed meat, you know, one one of the reasons for that was to avoid GMO feeds in their meat because if they're not being fed grains, then they're not being fed GMOs. But uh, if they turn around and uh, genetically modify grass, then, you know, you're screwed completely. Yeah. I mean, they do... I think in some places there's glyphosate that is sprayed on the grass as well. Mm. Um, it may not be GMO grass, but I'm sure I came across. I mean, I don't know any farmers who could corroborate this, but I'm sure there was a case of on the sheep fields or on the lamb fields, they're, they're getting exposed to it, even though it's like 100% organic, you know, uh, pasture, mm. pasture raised, fully grass fed. But there's still glyphosate. It still creeps in some somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that the farms who, or the suppliers who are really on top of this, I'm sure they t- probably take good measures. Um, but for the average farmer, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I, um, I was speaking to a farmer the other day who is not organic, um, and they um, they don't like advertise their their lamb or their cattle as being grass-fed but they are grass-fed because they don't they don't feed them anything else um but i later found out that this same individual was spraying glyphosate heavily all around the area um and i don't know if it was directly on the grass but it's safe to say that those sheep and those cattle have come into contact with that stuff um Mm. even though even though they're not being fed grains. So mm-hmm. it's it's almost impossible to get away from nowadays. Well, and it's yeah. in the water table. So even if you're 100 miles away from it, it's in the water, which is in the clouds, which is in the rain. It's part of the ecosystem. Oh, thanks for bringing that up, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, the unfortunate truth is that you really, it is impossible to be completely free of glyphosate in this day and age. 
I mean, yeah. maybe if you live on some kind of desert island, but I think even still, I think you're still going to get That's where they do all the testing. I mean, <laughs> well, that's, that's right. what yeah. Hawaii's notorious for. That's why they started growing GMOs there initially for seeds because it was completely isolated so they could quote unquote monitor what would happen before they let the cat out of the bag. But yeah. you could go to North Central. <laughs> I don't think you'd survive very long. Where's that? North North Sentinel. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, that. <laughs> that's it's it's the island that was in the news a couple of weeks ago. Um, just off oh the yes. yes, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, I didn't know the name of the island, but okay. <laughs> you just gave him an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see some tests to see how well, like if you're a healthy person and your immune system is good and you eat a healthy diet, like how much of this stuff can you get rid of? Like are we totally, completely at the mercy of these big ag companies who poison our food? Do we have some sort of inner strength, some kind of Superman capabilities to get this stuff out of us? We're just going to have that GMO uh, edited, gene edited right out of us. Mm. I don't know. It's a good question, actually. I don't know. I don't. I don't think even Stephanie Seneff knew when we were asking her about it, like how efficient we actually are at detoxifying this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well. Um, I think it can turn into oxalate and then you kind of excrete that, but that's problematic in and of itself. There's, I mean, there are a lot of people and I think there's some research supporting the idea of using, uh, fulvic and humic acid, mm -hmm. um, like what you would find in the soil, uh, or fulvic minerals. I think that they can help to speed up the process of the degradation of that. And then there is also some of the um, bacteria, the probiotic bacteria, which is found, I think, specifically in um, apple cider vinegar. So there's one called Acetobacter, oh. and this has been shown to degrade oxalate. And this is one of the reasons or why some people do recommend taking apple cider vinegar. Um, when you may have glyphosate in the gut. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is speculative, I think. Um, and until, I mean, I don't even know if there's any research being done on this right now. It would be interesting to see. Um, a question in the chat is, can fulvic and humic acid pull out oxalates too? Um, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. Um, the main way that oxalate is excreted is via the urine, um, but it can also be dumped through the skin. It can be dumped into the um, feces. Uh, there's various ways that that can happen. I don't know if fulvic acid and humic acid would help with that. There are various things that you can take to help with that. Um, magnesium and potassium citrate, they're good. Um, and thiamine and biotin, those are two important ones. Um, but yeah. 
So, shall we move on to our next scientific topic? Yes. <laughs> this is actually a scientist who was doing her job the way it should be done. Uh, there is this researcher, uh, or a scientist, however you want to call her, Dr. Judy A. Mikovits, who was thrown in jail for actually uh, reporting on retroviruses being delivered through vaccines. Yeah. She had discovered a, a virus, like a, a retrovirus, and she discovered it in people with chronic fatigue syndrome and was saying, you know, that it might actually be, there might be a connection there and that it might be causing chronic fatigue syndrome. And so, you know, she did a bunch of work on that and, and published it and whatever. And then two years later, some guy found that that virus was found in vaccines. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't even her work necessarily. I mean, it built on her work, but it wasn't her work that kind of brought all hell down on her. It was this other study that came out that said, oh, yeah, by the way, this, uh, this, this virus has been found in vaccines. And so then the, I don't even know what you'd call them, the pharma, pharma mafia came <laughs> to her and told her that she had to retract her study. She had to say that she made it all up and that none of it was true. And she refused, obviously. And she's like, hell no, I'm not doing that. And they actually put her in jail. She was put into jail for five days, mm -hmm. no access to a lawyer, Nothing like that. They just came and they locked her up for publishing science. It's Is that in the U.S.? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So since then, and actually not necessarily since then, I'm not sure what the timeline is here, but she also discovered that this virus had contaminated much of the blood supply in the U.S. Um, for, uh, you know, blood that they would use for, for transfusions for, you know, people in kind of in life-saving situations where they have to give people blood. A lot of it was actually contaminated with this, um, this virus. And, and, this and no, go on. So the retrovirus, yeah, is a, a retrovirus mm. that can lay dormant. Yeah, so these retroviruses, they can occupy sections of DNA and essentially go unnoticed or they can kind of stick around without manifesting as like a disease per se. Um, and this particular virus that she um, isolated was a, it's called the xenotropic marine leukemia virus related virus. <laughs> Basically, I'm glad what you it is. remembered that. <laughs> uh, what, what it is, it's uh, a virus that is present in mice. And as I just said, sometimes retroviruses can lay dormant and they don't necessarily influence or negatively impact host health. Uh, and this, depend, this can depend on the species as well. So essentially what they were doing um to the vaccines i can't remember when she said it was i think she said it was early on in vaccine research yeah vaccine when they were science. working on the uh, polio vaccine yes yes and she was saying what they were doing was 
um, in order to sort of um, reduce the, um, and not the effectiveness, but reduce the possible negative side effects or to sort of kind of deactivate the virus uh, in, the, in the vaccine, what they would do was they would run it through mouse brains and I'm guessing that the that the immune system of the of the of the mouse would in some way deactivate the the virus, and then they would pull it back out, and then that's what would be injected into uh, the human beings. But what she was saying was that actually what can happen is is that by running a virus through or by running a vaccine through a mouse brain you could potentially contaminate that vaccine with certain endogenous um, or certain retroviruses that are present in the mice that do not have any negative effect on the mice, but which could potentially cause really bad problems in humans. And they were, they were saying that um, they, in vaccine injury, what they found is that um, there are like DNA fragments of these retroviruses um, in the in the tissue of the spleen, and I think it was the liver, uh, but I can't remember exactly. But yeah, essentially, um, so yeah, Dr. Dietrich Klinghart, who is like a, a, a very well-known doctor in the naturopathic medicine field, who who has worked with autistic children for a very long time, um, recently did an interview, it was in the summertime, maybe June or July, and he made the statement that he believes that much of the autistic phenotype can actually be due or can actually be accounted for by um, these retroviruses essentially activating the immune system in the brain, and they're they can be activated um, or allowed to manifest by various adjuvants in the vaccines and, and metals and mercury and aluminium and stuff. But essentially, you know, he's talking about research being done recently showing that actually these retroviruses can cause serious long-term problems and chronic immune overactivation. Um, and what she's shown is that essentially you can get these retroviruses from the vaccines. Yeah. So you won't get the measles or the mumps, but you'll get an autoimmune disease? Is that what you're saying? For those that aren't... Worthy trade-off. <laughs> technically minded. Oh. Well, I, th I think that, yeah, I think that's what she's saying, basically. Um, <laughs> or, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. Well, I just want to say that I cannot believe that we live in a world where we're actually having this conversation. Like, it's a normal <laughs> thing to run a vaccine product through a mouse's brain that is just yeah. so bizarre and unbelievable yeah. i i can't wrap my head around it like i know why they use mice in laboratories because they're plentiful they're cheap they're easy to experiment on but who came up with the brilliant idea of oh i'm making this polio vaccine i want to attenuate or weaken this virus let me just put it through a mouse's brain and I'm sure there's not going to be any mouse particles that come through or anything that's going to do any harm to anybody. This is going to be great. Whose idea was sieve. this? They broke their sieve. They're like, I need to strain this through something. What do we got? I don't have a we sieve. We don't have any cheesecloth. Oh, use this mouse brain. <laughs> mouse brain. There we go. Perfect. 
Yeah. Is... I mean, it was done. It was done early on, and I guess you can kind of <laughs> forgive them because they didn't really know what they were doing. But uh, yeah, but they're it was, safe it... and effective. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with them. You can have side effects just... from any medication, but you can't have one from a vaccine. Everybody knows that. I can't believe it. And mouse brains, I mean, that's not the only thing they use in vaccines. They use hamster ovaries and bovine mm. blood and human fetal cells. I mean, it's just a concoction of filth. It's disgusting. Yeah. So anyway, this lady was thrown in jail. Yeah. <laughs> she was given a four-year gag order. She can't talk about it, or she couldn't talk about it for those four years, and her career was completely and utterly destroyed. Yeah. She's written a book. It's called Plague. Uh, what's the full name? Plague, One Scientist's Intrepid Search for the Truth About Human Retroviruses and Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, Autism, and Other Diseases. Hmm. You know, there was an interview we put up on uh, SOT with her. It was actually a number of years ago. Um, when was it? 2014. And um, the interviewer asked her at the end, you know, with all this work you've done on chronic fatigue syndrome, because she goes into that quite a bit, talking about it. And they said, if you had the chance to rename chronic fatigue syndrome, what would you call it? And she said, non-HIV AIDS. It's an acquired mm -hmm. immune deficiency beyond a shadow of a doubt. Wow. So she's, she's very interesting. She's a really, I mean, a lot of the science was over my head, but... Um, it was, uh, it's very, very interesting, the work she's doing. Yet vaccines are given out like candy. And yeah. they really are not held up to the same standard as other pharmaceuticals. This yep. is a actual biological product that they're allowed to inject into anyone and everyone, no matter what their age, if they're pregnant or not, they can inject it and... Okay. They only do like really short trials and they only use healthy people and they make sure to let to screen out all the people with allergies or pre-existing autoimmune conditions so um, they can work the numbers and make it seem like the vaccine is safe. So, well, here's the thing. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, uh, didn't JFK Jr. Yeah. recently uh, sue? Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yeah, yeah. Because they, you know, the, the, it's not even that they make it look like it's safe, but apparently mm -hmm. they haven't even bothered to do that. Because <laughs> recently, RFK Jr., um, along with um, Del Bigtree, I think his name is, he's the guy who did the Vax documentary, mm -hmm. and the Informed Consent, Consent Action Network, or ICANN, um, collectively sued the. Um, the U.S. government, uh, because when, so I guess this takes a little bit of history. So um, when they introduced the whole vaccine court thing, um, where basically there were all kinds of uh, side effects happening from uh, the, one of the vaccines that was out at the time, the D, D yeah, D, like DPT, diphtheria DPT. pertussis, and, and yeah. what's the T, tetanus. So they were, yeah, they were, they, those were having all kinds of um, side effects and people were suing the vaccine uh, manufacturers. And vaccine companies started becoming extremely 
um, hesitant to actually develop any new vaccines or anything like that because they were like, well, you know, if there's any kind, if anything goes wrong, we're just going to get sued and we're going to go out of business. So there's no, you know, incentive for us to do this. It's too dangerous. So the government came up with a scheme where they invented this vaccine court, which basically means that nobody's allowed to sue the vaccine manufacturers. What happens is if you had a negative or adverse effect from the vaccine, you go before, it's not even really a court. It's basically the, um, what is it, the HHS, what does that stand for? Like again? a board, uh, Health and Human, Human Services. Services. That's it, yeah. So they go through a board of, of HHS employees who hear their case and just arbitrarily decide whether or not you get a settlement or not. And this is all paid for by the taxpayers. So it basically completely makes the, um, the vaccine companies uh, immune from any repercussions of their screw-ups. So the, the, the American government completely takes on all the responsibility. So at that time, Congress said that, you know, there's a few things that have to happen here. You have to submit every year a uh, full safety report that shows that you've done the safety testing on these things and that you've um, done your due diligence to make sure that these things are actually safe. Well, they never did that. This was 30 years ago that they came up with this, 32 years ago. And, they and that never was President Reagan once. that signed that into yeah. law for those who are interested. Nineteen eighty six. Never submitted one. Not a single one. Never really? did they ever come up, do a report, do their safety tests, do a report, and present them to Congress. So basically, uh, RFK Jr. and uh, and friends sued the American government because they have been giving out vaccines for the last thirty two years that have not gone through. The proper safety testing mm -hmm. or if they have which is doubtful they never submitted it to congress <laughs> so and they won they won their case mm -hmm. wow so, you didn't see that on the news <laughs> <sure> did. no <laughs> it's been completely silent like this happened what like a month ago maybe more than a month ago and there hasn't been a word of it in the mainstream press it's pretty insane so one of the articles that we uh, had up on sot here was called U.S. Government Loses Landmark Vaccine Lawsuit. And what they do is they go through and, and um, give a bit of an explanation for what exactly happened. But then they go into kind of the implications of it. And it's pretty interesting. I mean, in some ways, I think maybe they're dreaming kind of big because they're saying that essentially this now can be used as a precedent for any kind of thing. So if your employer says, you cannot work here if you, do not, if you don't get a vaccine. You can turn around and say, well, actually, because these things are not, have not been proven to be safe, I don't have to do that. And you can mm -hmm. argue your case that way. Same thing for kids, you know, uh, going to school or going to daycare or all that kind of stuff where they say, you can't come here unless you're vaccinated. You can say, well, no, you can't. Uh, I can actually come here because those things have not been actually proven to be safe. So we'll yeah. see if that actually happens. The we fact will. that hardly anybody even knows that this uh, lawsuit was won or that it happened in the first place is going to cut down on a lot of that. And also the, the vaccine manufacturers and the CDC are so strong. Despite all of the, the protest against vaccines and people who are anti-vaxxers in quotes, I mean, they still are introducing new vaccines. Uh, for children and for adults, and I don't know that this is going to stop their mad rush. No, 
I mean, there. I'm sure you know. As soon as this happened, they were scrambling to find ways. I think the way I see it is that, like, best case, mm. if they haven't done safety testing in in the last 32 years, they'll do one now. So people <laughs> might have a window where they're kind of like, uh, you know, oh, for this time we can we can use this this case as a precedent. But all they have to do is do their safety testing and get it before Congress. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I'm sure it'll be like a completely bogus test. Of course. Whatever. So, of course, it's going to come out saying, oh, yeah, these are these are actually more safe than breathing. It's unbelievable. It's just mm -hmm. it's it's more safe than air. Um, and so, yeah, people will have maybe this window where they can actually use this case, this the the this win as uh, a means of um squeaking through but um yeah it, it wouldn't surprise me if they're they're already like you know as soon as the the verdict was handed down they immediately started doing their safety testing mm. and um yeah well, well I wonder if his his idea too uh RFK Jr cuz he was involved with that Monsanto case with Dwayne Johnson not the rock. Yeah, Dwayne Perry Johnson. <laughs> and Dwayne, not uh, the rock Johnson. And it, it is a precedent setting case. So now it can be used. So maybe he felt like that was a win that maybe they could now focus on this to mm -hmm. get people informed and interested and see what comes up. I mean, I think now with the Monsanto thing, it's like eight or 9,000 cases have been filed. Mm. But again, it was the same thing. Like he developed non Hopsch. Hopkins lymphoma, and it was pretty hard to prove that. So I'm wondering if this vaccine thing with all the autoimmunity and possibility of autism and all that, how how are you going to prove it? Mm. That that the vaccines cause these? I'm I'm just mm -hmm. yeah speculating. What I found what I found really interesting about this is that. Um, is that the vaccine trials, like the the criticism that none of these, um, that none of the vaccines have gone through the rigorous um, testing and, and certification and whatnot. Um, but no, what my point was, uh, what I found bizarre was that um, was that every other kind of drug or pharmaceutical product has to go through these rigorous tests and it's mm. only the vaccines how did vaccines manage to um to slip to slip through you know it, why why was it vaccines as well is it because they're so ubiquitous is it because there are people who don't take any pharmaceutical meds but they still get their vaccines mm. you know vaccines are um it's almost like they're the holy grail you know what i mean yes. yeah and that's the only thing that I can think um, of, which might be able to explain how vaccines, among everything else, was were the uh, was the only area of product which managed to bypass all of these measures. It's like there's got to be some selection there, you know. Yeah. Well, to put on my tinfoil hat, <laughs> go go. <laughs> I I speculate. I mean, maybe the run-of-the-mill vaccine worker doesn't know like all of the the horrible things that vaccines have wrought throughout the world but at some level these people know and if you are vaccinating a certain percentage of the population no percentage of the population all get sick 
and they rely on the healthcare system and pharmaceutical drugs in order to keep living their lives. That creates a lot of money. So maybe it comes down to that. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure that's part of it, yeah. I mean, it's also kind of like like people who are pro-vaccine, like really pro, are they kind of consider it like complete, like human life would cease to exist. We would mm-hmm. all be wiped out by plagues of disease if it did not, if it weren't for the vaccines. You know, they're, they are the one thing kind of holding us back from a complete uh, death of the entire human race, wiped out by disease. You know, they are the godsend. And people who, who have that attitude are probably willing to bend the rules in a lot of ways to make sure that those vaccines still get out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so essential to human life as we know it. You know, it would be like cutting off the food supply if we, uh, if we didn't have our vaccines. Yeah, but uh, but I, I think the money thing is part of it too. I do too. Yeah. So, okay, we have to talk about this last topic. Yes. I don't the most know. Disturbing uh, topic. Yeah, it's so disturbing. I would say it's the worst, the worst of all the things that we talked about today, because. It, completely contorts human nature, biology, and kids are being targeted. And you know how people feel about kids. They love them. They don't want the children hurt. (laughs) But there is a certain subset of the population. They're possessed by this, I don't know, transgender ideology, this non-binary ideology and they're forcing it onto children so to take it down to a micro level uh, there's a woman uh, she has a six-year-old son I don't know what his real name is but she calls him Luna and she is going through a divorce with her husband and uh, the mom is convinced that this boy is really a girl And she dresses him in girls' clothing. And his dad has visitation rights. So when the son goes to visit his dad, he acts like a normal boy. He doesn't want to wear dresses, doesn't want to play with dolls or anything like that. And the the mother uh, is trying to get the dad's parental rights taken away. The dad is not allowed to get a second opinion about this so-called gender dysphoric uh, diagnosis. Uh, The mom takes him to a therapist who is completely pro-transgender, and she's a transition specialist. So this whole thing has been in the news lately, and it's just so disgusting what is going on. What I found interesting is that he's a twin, and they're both boys. So where's the other child in this discussion? (laughs) I mean, I I don't know. Maybe she wanted one boy and one girl. Mm. Yeah, the whole thing is really insidious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's the, the, the parent in that situation is clearly disturbed in some way because it seems pretty clear that this kid does not want to be a girl mm-hmm. but is only kind of placating his mother 
probably like you know fear of rejection like you know it's your mother right so mm-hmm. we have all kinds of attachment issues going on there and like when a six-year-old is completely dependent upon their mother so of course he's going to do things to please his mother and the fact that she seems to have arbitrarily just decided that this kid wants to be a girl and from all the you know there was one article up where they were citing um, witness testimony. I think the guy got some information on the case through the Freedom of Information Act and was uh, publishing some of the the um, witness testimony. And all of them are saying he's a boy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he plays around with other boys. He, like, you know, gets dirty with other boys. He's He never gives any indication that he wants to be a girl. And apparently for a diagnosis of gender dysphoria which the mother has in, you know, uh, uh, enlisted the help of a uh, psychological worker of some kind who has diagnosed him with gender dysphoria. Apparently for a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, that the kid or adult or whoever must consistently claim to be the opposite gender across multiple situations. And this kid is clearly not doing that. He's only doing this when he's with the mom. The father gives him the choice, do you want to wear boys' clothes or girls' clothes? And he always picks the boys' clothes. So it just seems like such a, an egregious case of, you know, enforcing an ideology onto a child. It's quite sad. I'm surprised that CPS isn't involved. Child so Protective Services. in the ideology. Yeah, they don't want to get the transgenderists on their bad side. Yeah, it's busy. this is crazy because, um, well, it's ironic because they'll happily go after um, after families who aim to live off the grid and give their children organic food and, mm-hmm. um, and try, yeah, yeah, homeschool the children and essentially try to foster the growth of a healthy human being. But when um, parents are... are I mean, you could say they are actually committing actual abuse, like actual abuse, and mm-hmm. um, and because it's accepted, um, they they don't do anything about it, and it's it's kind of sad that it's so twisted and upside down like that. Um, don't they have a, a world? Sorry, don't they ahead. have a law in Canada where if the parents don't support their transitioning or transgender child, the child can be taken away? Yep. Yeah. That exists, if you can believe that. What an upside down world we live in. Well, there was another, there's a case actually of a school in, uh, in England where 17 pupils are in the process of changing gender. And there was a, <clears throat> one of the teachers there kind of came forward as a, as a whistleblower and reported to the Daily Mail about it. Um, she remained anonymous. But she, what she said is that what she sees going on is that there was one kid who was transgender and started transitioning and all this kind of stuff. And suddenly all these other kids started doing it as well. And what she says she's witnessed is like grooming type behavior mm-hmm. where like the older kids who are, are thinking it's cool that they're um, becoming transgender have started kind of grooming younger kids on it. Mm-hmm. And that she said that the vast majority of them are autistic spectrum. Some of them have been diagnosed. Some of them, she says, just seem like they probably have autistic type behaviors. So it seems like 
what it really seems like is it's become this cool new thing and the kids really like it. So, you know, any, any kid, you know, they, they glom onto these kind of subcultures, right? It's kind of like they have this group identity. Um, they feel like they belong. They have certain markers. Like they're apparently they're all dressing the same. They're all mm -hmm. dyeing their hair and doing all these other kinds of things. Like it has all the markings of just another subculture. Like when I was a kid, you had like, you know, the metalheads and the ravers and the, the mods and whatever else, right? Like it's like you have a uniform, you all listen to the same kind of music, and it's this group identity kind of thing. And in this situation, it just seems like it's another group identity that they kind of latched onto without having an understanding of the repercussions if they actually start to go through with, you know, puberty blockers or, you know, eventually surgeries. I don't think they're allowed to have surgeries until they're 18. But nonetheless, like these have, it's not like going out and getting a tattoo. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like these have much wider repercussions. Mm -hmm. And if these kids are just kind of glomming onto this because they're autistic and they kind of, they don't, they have social awkwardness because of their autism or even just because they're a teenager, like, you know, and they're glomming onto this kind of acceptance and thinking that, you know, that the problems that they have with their autism would be corrected by going through these transitions. It's just, it's so... I think I keep on using this word, but it's so insidious. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't help because there's, if you look on YouTube, there are um, increasing numbers of uh, video loggers. So people who basically just, there's this whole sort of weird subculture going on with the youth now where many of them spend hours watching videos on YouTube of, um, of average people. These average people just literally talking into a camera and saying what they've done today you know like oh today i went to the cinema with my friends and all, all of mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and it's just that's that's the new thing to do the youtuber and unfortunately there's a lot of the transgender video loggers who are um i guess appealing to these children's um lack of sense of uh, adaptability to uh, their peers um, inability to sort of um, bond with or you know if, they, if they've got autistic tendencies then they may be less able to socialize and whatnot and um, they, they can be become exposed um, to these to these video loggers to these kind of things um, promoting these ideas um, and as you said Doug I think it it's appealing for them because I think that understandably they think that it might solve their problems um, mm -hmm. But as you said, it's not like getting a tattoo or a piercing, which you can take out when you're a couple years older. I mean, how many people are there who did stuff in their teens who regret it? But thankfully, yeah. most <laughs> everyone. It's uh, um, if I could go back, I, you know, I, I was stupid. But that's part yeah. of being a teenager. And the thing is, is that you can learn from those lessons, and you can. Uh, most of them aren't set in stone. But this is on a whole new level because the 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 physiological effects that this can have. Um, this is not something that you can reverse. I mean, there, mm -hmm. there's a case of a 16-year-old in that school who's just left the school who's going for a double mastectomy. I mean, she's mm -hmm. having her breast removed. She will be permanently mut mutilated. She can't get those back. So in a couple of years, if she looks back and thinks, "Oh, I was so stupid back then. Why did I do this?" It's like she can't, she can't do anything about that. She's mutilated for the rest of her life. And if she's feeling depressed, you know, when she's 
when she's a teenager, I mean, if you look at the rates of depression and suicide in, in transgender, they're phenomenally high. So I really don't see how mutilating the body at mm -hmm. such a young age is in any way conducive to, to long-term health. Yeah, and taking hormones for so long and starting them at such a young age, like before puberty, that's why they call them puberty blockers, basically setting yourself up for infertility. So what if you grow out of this phase and you say, oh, you know, I want to, you know, act like a girl or act like a boy and get married and have a family and you can't have kids. Yeah. What's crazy about like that, though, as well? Sorry, go ahead, Erica. Oh, no, no. Go on with what you were going to say. I, I was just going to quickly say that what is what makes absolutely no sense, and I feel it's almost criminal um, by any medical doctor who would recommend putting someone on a puberty blocker or any kind of hormone before puberty mm. is that is the sex hormones that are increasing during puberty that really come on so it's testosterone for males it's estrogen and progesterone for females these are the things which drive many of the sexual characteristics and with that also come the psychological characteristics of your sex so the testosterone affects the growth of the brain and how, you know, um, I'll try not to be overly reductionistic, but you have um, very um, tangible differences in, in terms of structure and physiology between the male brain and the female brain. And that can be explained by the effects of the hormones on the developing brain. And this not only happens in utero, but it's very prominent in puberty and so if someone doesn't feel like they're a boy and they're 11 years old and they haven't hit puberty what's to say that under the influence of a massive surge of testosterone they might start feeling like a boy you know <laughs> this only makes sense and i will be honest you know i was never the kind of uh, typical male when i was younger you know i was kind of I wasn't particularly girly, but I wouldn't say I was particularly um, uh, stereotypically male, if that makes sense. And then when I hit puberty and started developing, that was when I started to find myself feeling more like a male. And I think this is the, the experience of all men and all female, all women as well. And so how you can disrupt that, that integral process, a child has no way of knowing what's, you know, um, before they hit puberty, before they become an adult, these things are just, um, they're not something that can be decided by a child, you know, no, simple as that. I totally, totally agree. A child is not in a position to make decisions that have lifelong consequences. They can't do They're that. They're not they in no a position to make decisions from day to day or else yeah. they'd just be eating ice cream yeah, yeah, yeah. all the time. And any adult who advocates something like this for children, whether they do it for their own kids or not, or they're supportive of, of it, it's, it's child abuse, plain and simple. It's child abuse on a massive worldwide scale. And anyone who does it is fucking evil. Excuse my French. Agreed. I mean, justify one, one of, I think one of the really insidious things about this is all these organizations that are there, you know, under the premise of helping kids kind of who are um, gender dysphoric to deal with it, right? Like, you know, they're all crazy themselves. All, they are. And I How think are they going to tell anybody doing, else what to do? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that what, what they're essentially doing is using these kids to drive their, their ideology. Mm -hmm. They're essentially taking these kids, these vulnerable kids 
and enforcing this ideology and like use, using them to, I don't know, bolster their point in some way to kind of like justify their own existence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're getting government funding to do it in many, in many uh, situations. And some of the stuff that they're saying, I was reading one article, I was just kind of looking for it and I couldn't find it. But one of the organizations was saying, like listing off the benefits of going through a transition. One of the things that they said is that it alleviates the, the symptoms of autism, <laughs> that it actually mm-hmm. cures autism going through a uh, gender transition. And my jaw just hit the floor when I read that. Like, how can they get away with saying something like that with no backup, no evidence whatsoever? Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, yeah, we can cure autism. Just uh, have a sex change. And this is a really relatively new phenomena. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. having worked with kids 10, 15 years ago and working in a school environment, this was not something that you saw. No, uh, I do remember in preschool, one little boy loved to wear uh, his mom's silk pajamas. And, you know, it was just the discussion came up. Both the parents were there. He liked to play with dolls. Luckily, the father, who was actually in the military, was like, let him wear the silk pajamas and play with dolls. It's fine. You know, he grew out of it. It wasn't like this big, like, maybe he's this, that, or the other thing. Like, I don't remember ever in all the years of dealing with parents this issue coming up. And there are, for sure, children that I know that, you know, grew up to be gay or whatever that dress like boys, but it was never the main focus. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like, okay, well, each child is their own and let them develop in time. So it's, I, I, I don't even know what to think. It's, I feel for parents that have children this age because now you have yet another thing mm-hmm. to deal with. Yeah. Just, just to sort of uh, back up what you were saying there a little bit um, with my own experience, when I was about six or seven years old, I asked my, I asked my parents if I could have a doll you know, for Christmas and it was like this little baby and it made noises and stuff and I thought it was really cool. Um, and they just saw that, they accepted that, and they were like, okay, he wants a doll, he can have a doll. Um, but in today's world, in today's world, they, you know, if you've got a certain type of parent who buys into all of this nonsense, then they're going to take that as, uh, as, a, as a signal that actually you're, you, need to, you need to have a sex change. And yeah. I think a lot of the time it's the parents who drive this because there are kids who are like four or five years old who are being, I mean, there was, there was this one case, um, it was posted on SART maybe a couple of weeks ago. It was a case of a child who, um, his parents were separated, and when he lived with his mother, he was, I think he was like a drag, like a drag queen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they have drag children. And he dressed up as a young girl, and he was referred to as um, Luna, Luna or, yeah, was it Luna yeah. or Do- yeah. Ah, okay. Sorry. Yeah. So that, that was, I think that might have been the same child that you were speaking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Doug. Yeah. And how, when he went to his dad's place, he, he, he just, he acted like a boy, <laughs> you know, yeah. and he was, he was fine with that. Apparently he was happy with that. But when he went to his mom's place, he suddenly took on this persona and it's like, well, how much of this is being actually driven by the parents? You know, mm-hmm. by them buying into all of this, and it's almost like a fashion thing now as well, and it's quite sick when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. 
So I think we can all conclude that it's quite sick. I don't, I don't even know what else to say about it. Uh, just seeing how this unfolds, it's, it's going to be horrible. I'm frightened just to think about it. Yet yeah. again, I can't look away because it's just so bizarre. You just wonder how crazy can human beings get? I think this is one of the craziest social phenomenon that I've ever witnessed in my life. Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, I don't think anybody saw this coming. And people supported, like people that you think are normal people, they're educated, they're college professors, and it's completely fine to them. It's just so weird how people just go along with it. Yeah. I think uh, it plays a lot on people's, you know, people, people don't like to see other people suffering, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, if there is legit transgender people out there and they are suffering and these people think, oh, you know, these people are suffering, we want to alleviate their suffering, we want to, you know, help them in some way. Fine, you know, I, I understand that impulse. Like, yeah, you don't like to see people suffer. That makes sense. But then the problem is that this ends up getting pushed mm-hmm. and like enforced onto people, like kids who aren't suffering or they're suffering in a different way. And this is offered as some kind of solution. It's like, it's, it's yeah, it, it people, I, I think we're just suckers for that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, well, and that that so, with that those Luna, I mean, obviously the parents are getting divorced. It's in court. There's custody battles. That's super normal for a child to completely act out in a situation like that, and to pit the parents against each other if they can. They're super manipulators. <laughs> I mean, even if it is coming from, it sounds like it's just coming from the mother. Yeah, but to. Back to the the suffering point. Yeah, people don't want to see people suffer. People especially don't like to see children suffering. Suffering is a part of life. And hopefully with time, and once they go through puberty, they won't suffer anymore. But to say that the answer to your suffering is to chemically castrate you or chop off your breasts or chop off your penis, that is just so crazy. Yes. It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. And I think a lot of the time, the proponents of these kind of weird and wacky ideas, they don't really care. A lot of the time, I think it's just virtue signaling, and yeah. um, it's it's to further their own their own agenda, their own ideology, because it mm-hmm. fits into that. But I really, I don't think that they. I mean, if they genuinely cared about the well-being of these children, they would spend the time, much like Jordan Peterson. Uh, is spoken about and many other um i think it's is it camilla page or no there's a camille paglia yeah camille paglia i think she did as well and then there was um oh there's like a viral video and it might have been camille paglia i don't think it was though Uh, it was a viral video of uh, i think it was a psychiatrist a female psychiatrist who basically in like a 10 minute short video on youtube she kind of just completely destroyed the, the every argument that could be made for um, child trans child 
transgender surgery, um, explaining the, 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 the effects that this can have long term. And I think if, if the proponents of these ideas, if they really cared, then they would take the time to look at all of the evidence, to, to consider all arguments. And I really don't think that they would come to the conclusion that they have. Um, and so I think a lot of the time it's just word salad and mm. it's just to, to, to sort of forward their agenda. And as you said um, before, I think for the, for the average person, it probably does just play on, um, play on their emotions and, um, and sort of appeal to the, to the, the, um, the, uh, what's, uh, the, how does, um, like sympathy? Yeah, yeah, the the moral taste buds, but not the moral taste buds. It's the um, uh, he talks about it in um. Oh, sorry, I've gone completely blank. <laughs> the author of uh, Jonathan Haidt. So he talks about how each person uh, there's a specific set of um. Uh, does he call them taste buds? Yeah, moral taste buds. Yeah, yeah. I think it appeals to that. It appeals appeals to that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Doug, you mentioned that it was just virtue signaling, or maybe it was Elliot. Like, if they really cared and they saw a child struggling, they would sit down with that child and try to get to the bottom of why they are feeling certain ways and not, you know, go against the therapist. Like, if if the therapist wants to explore some of the reasons behind why a child feels that they're in the wrong body, whether they want to discuss, you know, trauma at home or whether they were sexually abused or anything like that, they're being accused of trying to convert that child. But how yeah. can you be accused of converting someone into what they should be, <laughs> which is <laughs> what they were born as either a boy or a girl? Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, I think that they try to draw parallels to homosexuality. Yeah, gay conversion. But I think that it's it's a very different thing. In fact, some people have argued that there's an inherent homophobia in this mm. whole push towards transgenderism. Because even in that article where they're talking about the 17 kids at the one uh, British school, um, the the teacher was saying she thinks that some of these kids are probably just gay. But mm -hmm. that there's still a stigma against being gay, but that that stigma doesn't exist for transgenders. Like they're, they're idolized, they're worshiped, like all, you know, they become like Elliot was popular. Talking about the, well, yes, yeah, like, like Elliot was talking about the, the YouTube stars and stuff like that. Like transgenderism is cool. Mm -hmm. Whereas homosexuality still isn't cool. And that, that just blows my mind. I can't, I actually, that somebody would be less accepting of a homosexual than a transgender. Like, to me, that just seems so insane. Yeah. So, do we want to move on to the pet health segment? Yes. It is on uh, GMOs and pesticides and how they can harm our little furry friends. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. This week's topic is GMO and pesticides, and the kind of damage they cause to our pets. 
and how commercial pet food companies that use GMOs and pesticides contribute to a variety of chronic diseases and problems. Cancer, diabetes, obesity, sleep disorders, various endocrine disorders. They say that greed is a disease, but it is also a crime. And not only us, but also our pets are suffering. Listen up to the following recording in order to learn more. GMOs were introduced into the food supply in the United States in the late 1990s. More than 30 diseases are rising in parallel with increased GMO consumption or with the increased amount of glyphosate herbicide sprayed on the GMOs. Correlation doesn't prove anything, but when you realize how the toxins in GMOs and glyphosate may promote these specific diseases, it's cause for alarm. Many veterinarians see the same trends in pets. The issue of GMO for me seemed like a benign one originally, and now the more I look at it, the more I realize how dangerous it is. We're seeing a lot more allergies, we're seeing a lot more cancer, and we're seeing a lot more dogs with, you know, GI-type problems. We know now that animals consuming genetically modified foods, that it actually can change the terrain of their GI tract. When I first started in practice, I didn't see so much cancer, allergies, GI problems, and now I think I see them every single day. We are providing a potentially irreversible immunologic consequence from feeding tainted diets on a daily basis. Avoid products that contain genetically engineered foods and glyphosate or Roundup. To avoid that, buy organic. If you can't find organic, at least go non-GMO. When we change these animals to their species-appropriate, clean, organic, balanced diets, within days we see changes. A lot of her thyroid problems, you know, resulting in her being overweight, those had disappeared. The itchiness and the yeast infections, that had all fallen away. Not only in their clinical conditions, but their energy levels, their brains are brighter, they're more engaged, they're, they're just having a much happier, healthier life. She just looked brighter, she looked happier, and it was pretty amazing the change that she made. More vitality, more energy. Their eyes look brighter, their coats look brighter, and this is only after two weeks of feeding this diet. Go to PetsAndGMOs.com to get the alarming new test results of glyphosate in popular pet foods. Those are some glyphosate-free goats. <laughs> so now they're going to have to start looking for glufosinate in pet foods, too, now. <laughs> or how long before they genetically modify our pets? Hmm. Well, we can always call up He Jean Gui yeah. and ask him to do us a favor. Yeah. <laughs> I want a dog that doesn't poop. <laughs> <laughs> or poops roses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for that segment, Zoya. So, uh, those are just some of the stories. And health and wellness news for 2018. I can't imagine that 2019 <laughs> is going to be any better. Oh my but at God. least it'll be interesting. Yeah. Give it that much. So anyway, that's our show for today, folks. We'll be back next week with another show. Uh, make sure you check out the other SAT Radio Network shows. Saturday is the Truth Perspective and Sunday is News Reel. Until then... 
Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye.